Thanks for downloading Inside Octopus, where we aim to give insight into Octopus Energy's DNA, the way we work and think, our values and our people, exploring our products and services, the technology that sits behind them, and the culture that is driving us to deliver cheaper, greener energy. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and for this episode, we're heading to the US to firstly introduce our new team there, but also to find out how just as they were launching Octopus Energy in the States in February, they had to jump into crisis mode when Texas was caught by surprise after a winter storm sent temperatures dropping below freezing, causing failures in the energy supply that resulted in millions of Texans being left without heating, lighting and water. So first of all, let's meet the team going from west coast to east where they're all based at the moment. So joining me online from California is our US CEO, Michael Lee. In Texas is operations lead Kelly Rankin. And Kelly actually lived through that weather crisis having just recently moved to the US. So hopefully we'll get a first-hand experience of actually what happened in Texas at the time. And then finally in New York is Natasha Crow, Head of Marketing for Octopus Energy US. So welcome everyone, thanks for joining the podcast. Michael, let's come to you first. Before we get stuck into what happened in Texas back in February, let's just go back a a few months before that to September last year with the announcement that we were launching Octopus Energy there. Yeah, thanks for having us. Look, we couldn't be more thrilled to be part of the Octopus family. We started our journey about a year and a half ago as Evolve Energy where our whole thesis was the energy grid is changing drastically and customers are underserved. And the way that we can kind of bridge these two is through one, making renewable energy cheaper and more accessible, but two, also layering in great technology to help customers understand their experience and even better, help them manage their usage as the grid changes to become more and more renewable energy friendly. So we joined the Octopus Energy Group in September of last year. It was a $5 million acquisition, part of a larger $100 million commitment by the Octopus team to really grow in the U.S. market in a really interesting way over the next few years here. So we're going to see about 25 million customers coming on to supply over the next few years, which will account by for about a quarter of the global business as we start getting into hundreds of millions of customers by the end of this decade. Natasha, the official launch was taking place just before the weather turned in Texas, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry. Thanks for having us, by the way. But yes, so so we'd originally been slated to launch sort of late in 2020, but we had to wait for certain approvals. So we kind of delayed and in January brought on some new members to the marketing team and we were heads down putting together all the things we needed for a successful launch. Um, And as it happened, things finally came together that fateful week in February. So Look, we were already planning to communicate to all of our existing Evolve customers about the big brand change. What we didn't realize at the time is quite how much we'd be communicating with them and under what circumstances. So, yeah, there were a lot of things, you know, that had to change. But to put it in perspective, you know, we we had just sort of finessed and launched all the messaging about dynamic pricing, advertisements about high competitive bills and we even had an entire billboard campaign sort of slated to go that the following Monday, which was introducing our products to Texas. So many of those items had to be pushed or reimagined all the way down to everything, all the messaging on the site. So it was a hurrah we've launched through to, okay, let's pivot. We've got a crisis on our hands. So yeah, it was uh, impeccable timing. <laughs> I was going to say, as if one 
you know, pandemic going on due to COVID wasn't enough of a crisis for right. you. Yes. You chose that time to launch I, as well. I did say that. I said, I think uh, to my team, I was like, I think on our gravestones, we will we will have, <laughs> you know, we launched a brand during a pandemic remotely during an energy crisis. <laughs> so that, that, that. Kelly, let's let's bring you in at, at this point, because um, as I said, uh, you know, in, in my opening, you're actually living through it there in, in Texas. You moved to Texas from the Midlands here in the UK, where I'm based. Um, so you were obviously already working for Octopus Energy in the operations team there. But I bet you didn't think when you moved to Texas, you'd be heading into a, into a winter storm. No, definitely not. Uh, if anything, I was worried about would be the hot summer weather. Uh, when I first came to Houston, someone had told me that in Texas, the weather is either hot or hell. Um, so I really wasn't expecting a winter storm. <laughs> Um, not at all. And I have spent some time over here in, in the past years uh, when I've been studying. One of the reasons uh, I pushed myself and, and my manager helped me get this role in Houston was actually I lived here for a year in the past when I studied. But yes, I had been working with Octopus Energy for three years in the UK. Um, so straight out of the university into operations. And I became a team leader in operations in Leicester, which is the hub of our operations for Octopus, as you'll know. And then this opportunity presented itself. And and so in that time, you must have seen a, a, such a huge change in, in the business. So obviously, from when you started with, I, I, I guess, just a couple of hundred thousand customers to what the business is now serving. Definitely, yeah. So I was there in the midst of Jackson, where we were moving from Juniper to Kraken, which is technology we're so proud of now. And we had 300,000 customers when I first joined. So a very small customer base compared to what we are now representing in the UK, certainly. The change has been phenomenal over the year, but certainly that spirit is still there. And it's really great that we can bring that over to Texas as well. And so come on then, talk us through what happened when uh, when this unexpected uh, snow fell. Sure. So uh, we'd heard rumour that, um, well, we checked the weather report and there was due to be snow in Texas and um, so we were somewhat prepared. Fortunately, I was able to keep power so a lot of my colleagues had lost power on the Sunday evening which took them out of uh, the team for the Monday morning. I managed to keep my power through Monday and half of Tuesday. All this time we knew that the power was subject to go at any point so I, I felt really fortunate that I had opportunity to prepare personally. And during that time, we were just getting everyone um, trained up in the operations team. When the power did go, it was so cold. So in Houston, it's the hottest part of Texas, one of the hottest parts of Texas. And we got to minus 10 degrees. The buildings here as well, they're not built for that kind of cold weather. So everything's reliant really on electric. And the normal purpose for that would be for air conditioning. But instead, we found the opposite problem where we'd lost the electric. We were living in a property that wasn't built to withstand this kind of weather. I mean, it was at points where you could just see your breath. It was hotter to be outside almost, or it felt that way for a lot of the time. And there was icy rain, so it wasn't quite this beautiful winter wonderland. It was more, felt more hostile than than that. I was going to ask, I mean, how, how scary is it when you've got no access to heating or power? Did, did you hear of any horror stories at all from, from any people that you knew or worked with? Yeah, so a lot of people lost power and water. Um, unfortunately, in Texas, the advice was that people warm up in their cars and um, to stay heated. So that was quite difficult. Whilst the advice was to warm up in your cars, they didn't say, say for people to make sure that the cars weren't in the garage. So people did lose their life, which is just 
so unfortunate because they're not used to this kind of weather and are certainly not an outage during that weather. So it's really shocking headlines. And when you compare what you're going through to, to that, it's really nothing to complain too much about. But then if you do see your own reality where we were all wearing like seven layers, I think I had at one point of jumper just to keep toasty or some level of, um, yeah, it was really difficult. And it, we didn't know when the power would come back. When the power did come back on the Wednesday evening, there was a great sense of relief. My partner tested the water to see if it would come on and we managed to get hot water and it was the most euphoric experience Um, just to get clean and warm again. It was something that I hadn't felt for about 33 hours. My God. Michael, from an industry point of view, why did the system break? Yeah, so kind of a, a few highlights about the Texas grid. First, it's actually a really large energy consuming state, right? So about as much energy production happens in Texas alone as what happens in in, uh, the UK. So it's a huge energy consuming state. Now at the same time, it's isolated from the rest of the country. So there are effectively three grids. There's an East grid, a West grid, and then there's a Texas grid. And so Texas is, for all intents and purposes, not really electrically connected to the rest of the US market. There is a element that enables Texas to kind of do things differently because of that, but it also presents a lot of risk when things kind of go wrong. It's hard to rely on your neighbors in order to kind of support that grid. So what we had kind of going into this week was a polar vortex came off of the Arctic area up north and spun off and came really far south. Now, parts of Texas are as far south as Miami, Florida. So you can imagine that this subtropical climate is not well built for getting hit with cold weather. It's actually built for very high temperatures and not very cold temperatures. That is kind of compounded by the fact that there's been a lot of growth in oil and gas production in the western part of Texas over the past decade or so. And we've realized through this event how interconnected the natural gas industry is to the electrical industry and how it's not really built for the extreme events of winter when people need heating in their home from natural gas as well as electricity production from natural gas. What would you say to some of the arguments against renewable energy in in like extreme weather conditions like this? Because you know, obviously, before this you know, podcast, I was doing my reading, my research on, on everything that's happened there a couple of months ago. And, and there was talk about you know, solar panels being covered in the snow or, or wind turbines freezing up. What, what's your response to things like that? Yeah. So, look, I have a background in the renewable energy field prior to starting Evolve Energy. So uh, historically, I've, I've been part of wind projects that were built in Maine and, and all across various northern climates. This industry of renewables is fully able to build projects that work well in cold climates, especially at the outset when that's what the project is designed to do. I think what we saw here actually was a failure of fossil fuels. While every generation source had its issues, the largest one was the fossil fuel industry. We actually had what are called freeze-offs or effectively when drilling areas freeze in, uh, in its production prior to any loss of electricity in the western part of, of the state. 
And so as those started to freeze their production, we had lower and lower pressure within the natural gas pipelines throughout Texas. And at some point we had to make a decision within Texas that the broader grid had to make a decision how we would prioritize that, that low amount of molecules that were in the system. Would it be residential home heating or would it be industrial and uh, electricity production? And so ERCOT, the state grid independent system operator, they actually have a standard set of procedures coming into these types of events. They do a planning exercise every winter to understand which assets are going to be available, what generation source can they rely on. And they actually, for these types of events, rely a lot on the natural gas side because there's not much solar that has been installed. There has been some wind, but when those were built, they were not equipped with cold weather packages. So based on the expectations that the independent system operator had coming into this event, they expected a significant amount of performance from the fossil fuel side. And unfortunately, they just did not perform, both because of the low pressure as well as freezing at those individual assets. With regards to wind and solar specifically, you know, especially solar, what we saw was the few gigawatts that we do have installed so far in Texas, they actually performed as expected and some days during the crisis overperformed, again, versus expectations. So what we saw was that, yes, the wind, the wind does blow, but more importantly, the sun does shine every single day. And those assets that were tied to the solar output were, were producing beyond expectations. And even our customers who have rooftop solar, those who had an electrical connection were injecting power back onto the grid to support the grid operations and getting paid a significant amount of money for doing so. Natasha, how did your team respond to you know, everything that was happening? Yeah, look, um, as soon as we realized how severe the weather was going to be, which, as I say, was literally the day after we launched, the forecast went from bad to extreme. There was a number of emergency meetings. And what we quickly realized was that obviously we were about to very likely lose our entire ops team's capabilities because they were without power. So we, you know, Kelly talked a little bit about this. She was, um, you know, a big part of this, but we, my marketing team, basically we had a crash course in systems training for how to be operations, how to be customer service. And during this period of time, you know, as unfortunately the entire team dropped off and we're going through this awful event, myself and my, my team, we became the customer service frontline. And bear in mind that none of us had been in that role before. So the first 15 minutes sort of on Monday morning, the phones were ringing off the hook. I mean, we had a lot of very scared, a lot of very curious, angry for all the, you know, all the right and wrong reasons. People just wanting to know what was going on, calling, calling us as their provider. So, you know, as is the octopus way, we kind of saddled up and put on these new roles and just kind of dug in. And I would say it's actually ended up being really, really one of the most rewarding experiences, certainly of my career. And I, and I think for my team too, you know, I, the octopus sort of octopus energy, you know, I'd say value proposition is about trust and and good customer service being provided at all times. And I really do feel like even though it was kind of day five of us operating in the US, we were able to really provide 
a support system and, and just conversations that help people feel better in a time I mean, of, of really terrible need. And there were people who were really, really struggling, you know, and as I say, that included some of our team, but also some of the customers, you know, were just, they didn't understand whether their power had gone out because we'd cut them off, which we absolutely hadn't. There was none of that going on, but you know, they didn't understand there was rolling blackouts. When is my heat going to come on? I have a, I have a toddler. Should I turn the oven on? All these sorts of things that are, you know, we were trying to do our best to kind of help them on. So yeah, it's certainly something that will stay with us. I think throughout our, you know, our, our entire sort of lives in terms of an experience, but also it's been able, it, we've really taken some of the things that we've heard firsthand from customers and what they need. And we're going to apply, we're able to apply that to our campaigns going forward. And just in general, our outreach and messaging to customers. Like now we've, you know, the marketing team has been in the trenches and actually heard one-on-one what customers want and need. It's It's been a huge learning experience. So I think it was an incredible sort of, you know, pivot for for the team members, but I think ultimately a really good thing. We actually, uh, and I think some of the amazing things came out of it too, you know, our customers were so, so genuinely happy to be helped. Uh, we've, we've got a, a little plaque that we have to give to one of our team members as soon as we come out of COVID, but he got invited to a barbecue. Like I think the, the, the quote was, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. I want to invite you over for a barbecue. And that was from a customer who, who you know, what our, Dan on our team helped out. And uh and what I think another thing to really sort of point out is that during all this, obviously all other electric, you know, retail electric providers were energy providers were going through the same thing. And all customers in Texas were going through the same thing and not everyone was handling it in the same way. And so, you know, coming out of this, there was a lot of complaints during the event. There was a lot of complaints generally for other retailers. And we came out of this actually with not a single complaint to the PUC about the way that Octopus um, operated during that time, which has put us in an incredible position sort of with regulators and also the press. It's given us a lot of credibility as we come out this to show that like we mean what we say when we say we put customers first. Kelly, just listening to what uh, Natasha's team had to, had to handle and pivot there, I mean, what was the response from, from your side of things? Yes, definitely. Um, so Natasha's team showed great agility in being able to uh, take on all this information. Usually in operations, we'll set aside weeks for the kind of training that they absorbed in about half an hour. There were a lot of questions throughout the day, but everyone was so on board with taking direction, understanding where they were best placed, and then using their strengths really to service our customers best. Actually, I'd like to add one thing that I don't think uh, Natasha is, has highlighted and I think it's just out of her modesty, is that the team that we all worked with was brand new, right? So the Octopus Energy US team grew from five people at the end of last year to now a couple dozen people. And while we were going through this crisis, the vast majority of the teammates that we had to deal with this experience only had a couple weeks on the job. So a big piece of that is, you know, hiring wonderful people who have the same values. It's it's really hard to teach values. In fact, it's probably impossible to teach values. But if you bring people on board that just have the right values, then you can get through these crises together, even without training. And a lot of Natasha's team were outside of Texas, right? So in New York and even Indiana. So we weren't going through it individually, but we saw the chaos and we said, how do we just drop everything that we do on the marketing side, on the engineering side? And how do we become the voice of the customer and answering phone calls and just figuring things out, even though we didn't have training in our, our, our formal systems of customer management? So 
it was a all hands on deck experience that nobody expected kind of coming into it. And even then, as we saw individual teammates from Texas kind of dropping off randomly because they, they lost power as we were going through this event. And we didn't know if this was a 24 hour event or 48 hour event. It turned out to be a five day event. Like every hour was, you know, just figuring out the fog of war, what was happening, what needed to happen, what would be our next backup system. And there was no formal playbook. It was just getting everyone into the same conversation to say, what can we do to support our customers? I did read some stories from other energy suppliers issuing bills of thousands of dollars to their their customers. In fact, one example I read was for $16,752. Michael, it would be great to understand, firstly, how the system works for those companies to issue such high energy bills, but also how is someone expected to pay for it? But and, and, And then finally, and I don't know whether or not we come back to Natasha on this one, but what you did differently... Yeah, for your customers to to avoid that issue. Sure. Yeah. So, look, I think we actually offer a very similar type of product for our customers, where we pass through the wholesale product, and they get a lot of benefits throughout the year, enabled by having exposure to these really low cost events. I think the reason why you haven't read about us in the paper is because we treated our customers right, and we were able to really cap their exposure on those bills. But I think even before we talk about what we did, maybe we first talk about why that type of product is so important because on the face value, yes, those types of exposures are dangerous for customers and having a capping mechanism that protects them is is important, but it's important for those types of products to also just genuinely exist as we go through the energy transition. And what I mean by that is that the grid is rapidly changing. The dynamics of the grid is rapidly changing. We have solar and wind coming on the grid in in very rapid fashion. And oftentimes that means that there's hours throughout the day where power prices are effectively free, sometimes negative. And the reason is, is that there's just so many electrons at that given minute trying to come onto the grid from these low cost and low carbon sources that the price signal is trying to say, please absorb all this electricity that you possibly can because there's a lot more that wants to be produced. So that type of changing price dynamic throughout the day enables customers to not only save a significant amount of money on their bills, but also truly reduce their carbon footprint because they're able to use as much power during the times when renewables are actually producing electricity and reduce their usage when it's very fossil fuel intensive. So those types of signals, those types of products are really important. Now, as a retailer, we have access to financial markets in ways that end use customers don't. And so we can help protect them from the worst case scenarios when power prices are really, really high by layering insurance and financial products on the back end and capping their exposure. We can also help them through technology controls. That's a big reason why we've launched into that uh, sector through the acquisition of the premier energy control software systems in the UK called Upside Energy last year, is that as we are managing hot water heaters, thermostats, electric vehicles, batteries, we're helping customers automatically shift when and how they use electricity to really extract as much as that carbon-free and low-cost power and shed uses during the high power price times. So 
that product is really important, but in an energy crisis, again, this is not something that happens frequently, but in an energy crisis, that's when we have to kind of step in and help customers get to a better result through capping their bills. And so Natasha can speak a little bit about what we did for our customers in this event. Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing to sort of understand is that at the point where we launched Octopus, obviously 99.9% of our customers that, that were, were previously Evolve from Evolve Energy and the, the product that we offered at Evolve Energy when we signed those customers up was, as we say, one of these, you know, a wholesale index pricing, which meant it was, you know, we were building real time. And so as we got the signals on the Thursday that we realized this extreme weather event was coming, we realized we had to make a decision and kind of to try and limit any customer's exposure to the the extreme pricing that was likely to happen over the, well, not likely, we kind of knew it was coming to the next three to five days. And so as luck would happen, you know, as having launched that day, we didn't just launch with the product that we had with Evolve. What we'd actually done is we'd launched with another product, which was a locked in rate for 30 days at a very low rate. So you had two products sort of on the, you know, available to customers, one, which was the wholesale product, which is what everyone was on because we just launched a day earlier. And then we had this new product that theoretically, you know, would lock your price in at, I I believe it was the average was 8.5 cents. So as soon as we realized that you know, this event was coming and what that would mean for all these wholesale customers that we had, we send a, a communication out to proactively encourage every single one of our customers to switch over to the new product that we just launched that day. We sent it through email, we sent it through push notifications, we put up messaging on the on the website. And what we saw over the next kind of three to five days was obviously, you know, maybe 50% of our customers got the message in those in those communications and proactively started calling up and saying, yes, yes, please switch me over others didn't see it or thought they'd hold on and then those prices as the event unfolded and the and the, everything froze and the weather got worse the prices that you started to see were you know incredible and it went all the way up to the sort of the 9000 cents a kilowatt cap and so people were seeing astronomical numbers on their bills so then they were calling us sort of in absolute terror like i have you know like 300 just for like yesterday's usage what do i do and so you know we put a moratorium on First of all, any payments, we weren't, you know, we stopped taking any money from any customers at any time during this. We're like, we'll pause and we'll, we'll sort this out after we're done. And then we also basically said, let's get you onto that locked, you know, fixed rate as soon as possible so that, you know, if you want to change back to the wholesale rate afterwards, that's absolutely fine. But right now we need to make sure and limit your exposure. So, yeah, that's kind of what we did in the, during the crisis. And we also took names and numbers of anyone who was, you know, struggling financially and who we knew would possibly need a payment plan afterwards. But I think the big thing that we then sort of went afterwards, the week after it happened, we... Uh, we launched a bill forgiveness program. So I think that was really the turning point for us in terms of how, you know, helping our customers. We knew that those who hadn't seen our messaging about changing over to wholesale and those who, or who had decided to always wait it out, they had potentially bills of two to $3,000 sitting on, you know, within the app. But we sort of, we, we took a look, we understand that that was not acceptable for any customer to have to bear. So we, 
launched a program whereby we settled all bills at the Texas average rate for that period of time, which was around 12.12, I think, cents. So basically everyone, once we'd aggregated all of that and sort of, you know, reconciled it in the, on the back end, people saw their bills drop in the app to very reasonable prices, prices that they may have paid with a, a, any other energy retailer at that time who was on a fixed rate. You know, and then anyone who was still struggling with those bills, we 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 helped sort of we got in touch with them, make sure that there was payment plans available and that no one would ever have to worry about keeping warm. So those were the two things that sort of happened. One sort of switching over to that lock rate and then launching a bill forgiveness program to make sure that, you know, every single one of our customers was looked after in some way. So, Michael, you, you said on a CBS interview that this was like a, a once in a hundred years event, but given the extreme weather conditions we're seeing now due to climate change. Do you think this could happen again? And and if that is the case, will Texas be better prepared for it next time? You know, climate change is one of those things that make not just the world warmer, but it makes the extremes more extreme. And these types of events, what we've seen is that they just become more and more frequent, whether it's the extreme heat, the extreme cold, the extreme flooding. And so The problem with infrastructure, which energy is a part of, is that it's always historically looking. They look at how often does this exist and what do we need to build to? What are the design standards based on the events that we have seen in the past decade, two decades, or even 100 years? And that influences how things are built going forward. The reality is that the world is changing at such a fast pace, especially because of climate change, that the world over the next three, four, five decades will look very different than it did just 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so having systems that are agile and can adapt quickly will be the ability for us to enable us to be resilient around climate change. A big piece of that is that product that I talked about earlier that allows us to adapt to real-time changing grid conditions based on technology. But another big piece of it is just enabling people to understand that the world is rapidly changing and we all need to be comfortable with change because it's just something that's going to be forced upon us through climate change. Sure. I just want to finish off the podcast. Let's look forward. You know, as we said at the top of the show, it's still very early days since you guys uh, launched um, Octopus Energy in in the US. What are your plans over the coming 12 to 18 months? Natasha, let's, let's start with you then. Our main focus over the next 12 months is to continue to wow and acquire as many customers as possible in Texas. It's definitely where we'll be spending our the majority of our energy and marketing dollars. We're still in the very early stages of, of really understanding the right products and the right fit for the Texas market and really getting to the point where we understand the Texas consumer as much as we, you know, Octopus Energy UK understands their consumers. So we really want to get that right before we get too distracted with other regions. Having said that, of course, we are already planning sort of, you know, domination. So our next moves are throughout the rest of the US, which I, I know Michael can divulge a little bit more on. Well, actually, before we come to Michael, then, um, Kelly, how, how are those plans going to affect your team in terms of, you know, the operations behind all that? So I think whilst we weren't intending to, and I don't think that we would ever want to go through anything like this again, what we have been able to show our customers and new customers is that we do have their back. And should any situation come to them unexpected, we are here to help with them. So just expanding that throughout the US, throughout Texas, 
showing that there is something to be said for being a loyal customer to a company and a company will look after you being a representative of that and for our operations model and for our operations team to to continue to help customers in that way michael do you want to finish off then what what's uh, what's your thoughts for the, the let's say the next as i said 12 to 18 months and and, and maybe beyond as well Sure. So just as some perspective, unlike uh, other countries, say the UK, the US does not have a monolithic regulatory climate. Each state in the US has its own regulatory rules and its own dynamics for how we participate in those states. So you can imagine 50 different states. At the very least, there's 50 different sets of rules. The reality is that each of those states probably has three or four different sub rules. So there is a lot to navigate with it as far as how we think about our next steps within the broader U.S. context. I say it's twofold. One of them is there are about a dozen states, and some of these are some of the most largely populated states. So New York, Illinois, for example, most of the Northeast, that is deregulated. So we can have a presence there that's very similar. It has some conditions that are different, but very similar to how we engage with customers kind of globally uh, as far as serving them best in class, renewable energy at an extremely attractive price that gets them really excited about participating and finding a new brand to work with. I'd say outside of those 12 deregulated states, there's definitely other entities, co-ops, munis, even regulated utilities where the energy transition is happening, right? There, we fundamentally know that solar and wind is coming onto the grid at a very massive way. And the technology stacks that have been built for traditional utilities is you know, representative of how technology worked 20 years ago. That just doesn't work today and it definitely doesn't work in the future. So our Kraken technology stack that we use and has enabled our company to be very, very successful is a great product for a lot of these other states as we look at expanding even into more monopoly, vertically integrated utility spaces we think we can still have a very interesting presence throughout the US. Good stuff. Best of luck with all those plans for all your teams. But for now, Kelly Rankin, Natasha Crow, and Michael Lee, thank you so much for joining us on Inside Octopus. As always, if you've got any comments on anything that our guests have discussed today, please do get in touch via the website at octopus.energy or via the usual social channels. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith, thanks for listening and goodbye.